Good morning. How are you guys doing? You awake? Yeah. Um, well, my name is Ryan. Uh, if you have never been with us, uh, welcome. Uh, Church family, welcome back. Uh, it's good to see you this week. As always, it's a privilege when I get to speak with you. I am a, a pastoral apprentice here at Church 21. I uh, moved up here with my wife from Texas, and it's just been uh, a privilege to get to grow with you, to serve with you in this city, uh, and I'm excited to open the word this morning. As you noticed, we've got a lot to cover this morning, um, so I'm just going to jump right in, uh, and, and just to ease your hearts. We're not going to work verse by verse through every part of his sermon. Um, I encourage you to, to go and study that um, more in depth this week, but we're going to camp out really on the, the front end and then the back end of the story uh, of Stephen. So let's pray one more time, um, and then um, yeah, I'm going to ask the Lord for help, and then we'll jump in. Father God, uh, Lord, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the body of Christ. I thank you for the things that Andrew just led us in praying. Um, I just uh, confess before uh, our church family that I am in need of you um, this morning, that there is no good that I can do in preaching of the word apart from your grace. Um, and so, Father, please, um, please speak through me um, and let me not speak anything that wouldn't be pleasing to you. Um, I thank you, Lord, uh, that you are willing to speak to those who ask you, Lord. Um, so we pray uh, for your help. We pray that we would have hearts to receive what your word says, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Uh, I want to ask you a question, um, and uh, we'll, we'll start off on a light note. Um, how often do you think about death? Um, how often do you, on a daily basis, think about um, your future death? Um, death is kind of the great equalizer of humanity. Um, everybody lives, everybody dies, right? Naked, I come into this world. Naked, I will return. Um, we can't escape this reality of death. But our society... Um, we live in a society that understandably tries to uh, kind of push death out of frame. Um, we, we don't see our, uh, you know, there was a day in age where uh, churches were surrounded uh, by graves, right? And, and we live in a day where we try as much as we can to keep death out of, uh, out of frame, out of our mind. It's, it's an uncomfortable reality. And, and for those who don't know Jesus, it's a tragic uh, reality, uh, even as a Christian, uh, there is the pain that comes from death of being separated from the ones we love, that this is not the way it was meant to be. But here we are. Um, we, this is a reality that faces us. How often do you think about it? Uh, there's a, an artist that I enjoy listening to uh, who goes under the name of Sleeping at Last. I don't know if you've heard of Sleeping at Last. It's a couple fans. Um, hey, respect. Um, he, he has this song called Emphasis, and it has this quote, um, or the, these lyrics, that it's really this song is dealing with the concept of death, um, and, and how do we wrestle with this, and wrestling with faith in light of death, um, and I, I think these lyrics are really uh, profound, um, if I can get this to work. I'm going to need you to throw it up for me. Thank you. It says, uh, death is a cold, blindfolded kiss. That, that death is this thing that comes unexpectedly. It's undesired. We don't know when it's coming, and it's not something we welcome. Uh, it's the finger pressed upon 
our lips, that it silences us. Um, and then it says it, it, is, it puts an unwanted emphasis on how we should have lived. We don't like thinking about death, and we definitely don't like the, that when we encounter death the way um, that often it makes us reflect on uh, how someone else should have lived, maybe the fact that our days are numbered. But the Bible says uh, that there's wisdom in learning to number your days. There's a wisdom in learning that there's an end date coming. Uh, it says that life is a vapor. Uh, uh, Matt Chandler, a pastor in Texas, he, he describes this as like it, he's quoting the scriptures and, and the fact that it's like the dew on the grass, right? And, and he says it's, you know, the dew on the grass, it's here in the morning and it's gone not by tomorrow, it's gone by the morning, right? Life is quick. Um, you don't know when it's going to end. Some of us, could, our lives could end today. It's the reality that we want to escape, but there's a wisdom in pressing that reality onto us and, and dealing with it. I want to read you the words of a wise old man uh, at the end of his ministry and the end of his life. Uh, He's writing to a young minister and he says this, As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but to those who have loved his appearing. The man who wrote this, uh, many of you know, is the Apostle Paul. And he's writing to uh, a younger minister named Timothy, um, kind of a a handing off of the baton. um, and, And the Apostle Paul really didn't think that death was something to avoid, but he, he really saw it as a finish line. It was something he dreamt about, finishing well, um, getting to the end of life and seeing the appearing of the Lord, whether that's in uh, dying and going to be with Jesus or Jesus returning. Paul said to live is Christ, to die is gain. No matter the cost, he wanted to finish this Race and, and the thing about the Christian life is there is a cost. Um, it's, not, it's not a cost that gets us into the Christian life. That is, we're not earning our salvation, not that type of cost. But there is a cost uh, that happens when we give our lives to Jesus. That, that this brings uh, hard things into our life. Jesus said you should count the cost if you're going to build something. And if you're going to build your life upon the rock of Christ, count the cost. Be aware that this life includes suffering. The Bible doesn't apologize for this, the fact that suffering is a reality in the Christian life. But it also teaches that those who are truly in Christ, that is, they've been saved by putting their faith truly, fully in Jesus, that they will finish the race. Like, there's this hope and this confidence that the end is promised. But then on the other hand, there's this since there are these warnings given in the scripture that Jesus and Paul would say, if, if you don't have any concern with finishing this race at all and, and finishing well, that we should, we should check ourselves to see whether we are truly in this race, whether we are truly of the faith. And so 
even for those who, who are and who know the end that they're going to reach, the, the fact is that uh, the fact that we're in a race and we're going to get to the end doesn't remove the race. The pathway towards the end of our lives, Jesus said, will have suffering. And so we need to learn, God would teach us uh, how to walk this path, how to run this path faithfully, how to endure suffering. How do we run faithfully? That's what we're going to look at today. Uh, our passage of scripture, you could see as kind of a flashback of the Apostle Paul to the beginning of uh, his walk with Jesus, really before his walk with Jesus. Um, in this story, you, you saw this, this character named Saul, and that man is Paul, right? We, a couple weeks back, uh, we, we switched the order and we studied the story of Paul. We saw his conversion. Well, this is right before that. Um, and Saul is on looking, he's a persecutor of the church as Stephen finishes his race. Before he even begins his race, he gets to see Stephen finish faithfully. Stephen's life was cut short. It was, uh, if, if Paul's race is, is a marathon, it's like Stephen ran a 40-yard dash, but he ran it faithfully, not knowing when the line would come, when the Christ would appear and when he would walk into it. He ran faithfully. In Paul and in Stephen, you see the same form. You see the same stamina. You see the same speed. Uh, same race, different length for each. You're running a race if you're following Jesus, and, and we need to run faithfully. So in Stephen, we, we see kind of this microcosm of the Christian life, you could say. It's uh, this, this short picture in this story of what it looks like to run faithfully. How are we going to finish? That's what we're going to look at. So if you're here and you don't know Jesus, you're not a follower of Christ, um, here's my hope for you. I, uh, I'm so happy that you're here. Um, my hope for you is that you would see that uh, walking with Jesus, getting in this race by his grace, uh, it, it, it's not about a list of do's and don'ts. It's not just simply rules. Maybe that's what you think Christianity is. Try to be good. Try not to be as be worse than my neighbor. Um, do enough good things, and then maybe I'll earn God's love, um, or I'll uh, just try not to, to hurt too many people, and just try to please him in that way. And, and what I want you to see is that this walk, this race, is so much infinitely better than that. So much more beautiful than just a list of do's and don'ts. And then if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus... Here's my hope. I want to equip you with just four simple observations from Stephen's race of how we can run our race faithfully, even through suffering. When suffering comes, how are we going to endure and how are we going to finish faithfully? We're going to see these principles reflected in Paul's ministry and we're going to see how they're rooted in the finished work of Jesus on the cross and in his life. So uh, last week we actually were introduced to Stephen for the first time. Um, do, you, do you remember we talked about leadership in the church? We saw that uh, the apostles wanted to devote themselves to the ministry of the word and prayer. They felt that they were called to do that. And so they said, there's so much that needs to be done in the church. We need to appoint some godly, faithful men who can carry out this task so we can focus on the task that we've been called to. And so they appoint these men. And uh, I just want to read you verse five uh, from last week. Again, it says this, and what they said pleased the whole gathering. So they, they brought forth this idea, hey, let's, let's get these guys to do this uh, specific task that's needed and necessary. Uh, and it pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. 
And then it goes on and lists these other men. Um, and, and it adds that full of faith in the Holy Spirit to kind of introduce this character that we're about to get to know more. And so uh, we're going to read verses 8 through 10 again. And I just want you to, to pay attention about the descriptors, the words used to describe the, the adjectives, or, uh, to describe Stephen. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and the Cyrenians and the Alexandrians, and of those from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and they disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. So I want to call your attention to just those three little couplets, those three phrases describing Stephen. We've got uh, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. He's full of grace and power and He's got this wisdom in this spirit that they can't withstand. And sometimes in scripture we'll see this uh, thing that's called parallelism, uh, where they're kind of saying the same thing in different ways. That's not exactly what's happening here. It, th- these phrases are not um, the same. Grace and faith are not the same. But what we see is there's this interconnectedness. There's this uh, blurring of the lines where these things flow into each other. Um, Faith is a gift of grace that God gives to us, but it's also the way in which we're united to Christ so we can receive all of the gifts of grace that he gives us. Uh, So last week, or this this past week, somebody asked me uh, about the the word grace. Um, He was kind of confused about how we use it as Christians. It's one of these words that uh, gets used in lots of different ways, and it it doesn't always seem to mean exactly the same thing in the same way. Um, And so uh, he he was confused about what it means. If you don't know what grace means, uh, shortest definition would probably be unmerited favor, that that there is a favor from God, a, a goodwill towards you that you didn't earn, maybe more succinctly a gift, that grace is, anything that comes of grace is a free gift, right? When, if you've ever received a gift, you didn't earn it. If you earned it, it wasn't a gift. It was payment, right? Um, grace is a gift, and that gift um, comes in lots of different forms, and we talk about it in different ways. So when we say we're saved by grace, we're saying we're saved by a gift, and it's really a shorthand term for all that Jesus did so that we could be saved by dying on the cross for us, right? By resurrecting. Um, and, and here we see an interesting thing, an interesting way of talking about grace. It says that he is full of grace. Is that confusing to you a little bit? Maybe it is. Um, full of grace. How can you be full of grace? Is he full of forgiveness? Is he full of that gift? Um, it can be a bit confusing. Uh, and this is where it's helpful to recognize that uh, grace is really a... Uh, almost an umbrella term um, that describes all of the gifts that God gives us unmerited. Um, All the things that we don't earn from God that he gives to us are grace. So forgiveness is a gift of grace and it is central to the gospel. It is essential. Uh, You don't have the gospel if you don't have the gift of forgiveness through Jesus. But it's not the whole. Forgiveness is not the whole of what grace entails. There's more to grace than just forgiveness. God actually has uh, more for you. He gives more grace. Uh, He gives grace for transformation of your life to be more like Christ and he gives grace for ministry that you could serve in his power. And that's what we see here. We see he's full of wisdom, 
right? Wisdom that he asks for from the Lord. Uh, He's full of power. He's working signs and wonders. It's amazing. These are gifts of grace and they're all made possible by the forgiveness that he has in Christ. But they are not merely or simply the forgiveness. They extend beyond that. Stephen is full of grace. There's a sense in Acts that we see these people being filled constantly by the Spirit. They receive the Holy Spirit, uh, and then they receive continual fillings. And and so this is a man full of the help of God. He's not just settled with, I'm forgiven. He's saying, God, change me, use me. And he's seeking it, and God is answering. He is full of the Spirit, full of grace. And the first thing I want us to to notice, I think that we have to notice, if we're going to finish this race, if we're going to run faithfully in Jesus' footsteps, the way that we're going to do that is by running in God's strength. Uh, we, We need to run in God's strength in the strength of another. If we don't get this fact, if we don't recognize that this is what's happening in Stephen's story, stories like this will crush us. Because how on earth can we be faithful like Stephen? This man is killed for his faith. How are we going to do that? Well, what I love about this, at the beginning of the story, we see that Stephen is not the hero of this story. He's full of what? He's full of grace, right? This is a gift, and it's purchased by Jesus. Jesus is the hero of this story. And so Paul can say things in his ministry like this. He says uh, in 1 Corinthians 15.10, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. Paul knows the strength he has in Christ. He knows the power that's working in his life. And he says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. He says, and his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Though it was not I, but the grace of God that is in me or with me. This is amazing. So Paul says, I'm working harder than anyone, but it's not me. And this isn't pride. It, it, we might hear this and be like, that sounds prideful. But, but Paul is saying this to encourage them, do follow me as I follow Christ. Receive the gifts that God has for you. I'm working hard. I'm going in, in all of this strength, but it's not me. It's him. I'm running in the strength, the strength of another. Paul is not proud. He is dependent and he is full and there's this dual reality in the Christian life, these, these two realities where uh, we're called to work hard, to pursue uh, ministry, to pursue holiness, and yet we do it all in total dependence upon God. We run only in the strength of another, or we don't run this race. We can only do this if we're actively depending on God. What Stephen's fullness of grace and fullness of the spirit tells us we can infer from it is that this is a man of prayer and this is a man who knows the promises of God. He, he is going to God to receive all that God has for him. Uh, I want to ask you this morning if you know God's promises. Are, are you aware? Can you think of, if, if I say, give me some of the promises of God, are there some sweet ones that come to your mind that you run to often for strength? Are, are there ones that you go to him for in prayer, asking him to make these realities uh, true in your life? Uh, James 4.2, this, this quote says that you have not because you ask not. And Jesus illustrates something very similar uh, in saying that those who ask and seek and knock, the door will be opened. Um, God gives the Holy Spirit to those who ask. 
but he requires that we ask. Uh, Our father is willing to give to you, but he wants you to learn to come to him and trust that he's willing to give to you. This is the first lesson we got to learn, that God is willing to give us more grace. This is the basis of all the other points we're going to look at today. As we see Stephen running faithfully, see Stephen running dependently. We have to run in the strength of another. I want to keep reading in verse, uh, verses 11, uh, starting there, going through 15, it says this. Then they secretly instigated men who said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him and bought him, brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses against him. Uh, who said, this man never ceases to speak the word, speak words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw his face was shining uh, like the face, or his face was like the face of an angel, which is amazing. So Stephen is running faithfully. He's full of the spirit. He's full of grace, full of God's favor. And now it leads him into danger. It leads him into a a precarious situation. And he doesn't turn back. Uh, As we run in God's strength, this is the next point this morning, is that we need to run wherever God leads. Uh, Depending on God means depending on him for strength, and it means depending on him for the path. Uh, we, We don't get to choose where the race goes, right? You sign up to run a marathon, you don't get to pick your course. Um, we, we get to run in it, and, and our call is to run and depend, and he will take care of us. Uh, Jesus taught that suffering was going to be part of the path. We said that already. Uh, that those who follow him would suffer. And one of the biblical tests that we see for true saving faith, if you've really been rooted in Christ, one of the biblical tests given is how do you respond in suffering? Uh, not in, in the first instant. It's not a just, a, oh, you messed up and you're not saved. You can't lose your salvation. The test to show if you've truly received the Holy Spirit is how you respond to suffering. Uh, this is what Romans 5, how, how it puts it. Uh, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Have you ever rejoiced in your sufferings? This is a, a weird concept, but powerful. It says, knowing that suffering, this is why we rejoice, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance for the race. And endurance produces character. Some translations say a provenness, that as you uh, endure, you, you sh- reveal the nature of your faith, that you're connected to Christ savingly. And it says, character produces hope. This creates hope in us. And my faith is, is not this superficial, faulty faith like Jesus talked about in the parable of the sower, that, uh, man, it doesn't put root down, and when suffering comes, it gets scorched, uh, and, and we turn away from the faith. Uh, man, it, it has hope, and then it says, uh, hope does not put us to shame. Why? Because the love of God has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit whom he has given to us. When Christians suffer, suffering is meant to thrust us upon the mercy of God so that we may experience the things that have been promised to us. That faith is not only a future thing about what happens when we die, but we get to experience the reality of these promises in the presence as God sustains us. 
In, 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 so here's a, a way to say it. In suffering, we come to know by experience what before we only knew by faith. In suffering, we come to know by experience what we only knew before by faith. Because God keeps his word. We are thrust upon his mercy and we receive it. His mercies are new every morning. We see this in a very specific way in Stephen's story, and it's uh, beautiful. So, uh, Jesus made this promise to his disciples. I'm going to read you from Matthew 10. He said this, Behold, so he's talking to his disciples, he says, Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Not a situation that any one of us want to be in, right? As a human in the midst of wolves, no thanks. Sheep in the midst of wolves. Uh, So be wise as serpents, and be innocent as doves. Beware Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them in the Gentiles. And they will deliver you over, um, or when they deliver you over, do not be anxious about how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. So uh, if Canada's government goes crazy and starts persecuting Christians, and you uh, are possibly going to be brought before the courts, Jesus has a specific promise for you. You don't need to plan your defense. He'll give you the words in the moment. And that's exactly what we see here in Stephen's story, right? He's full of wisdom. Uh, He's full of the spirit. And God gives him specific words for this specific instance. Uh, These men are instigating uh, people against him. They're bringing him before the council. And he speaks, but, but God is the one speaking through him. So I wonder how often we retreat. I, I know that, man, I've been guilty of this. Do, how often we retreat from obedience because we think we're not capable. Uh, do you ever retreat from what God calls you to because you think, I'm not good enough. I'm not capable. I can't do it. Well, if you read the Bible and and you get really familiar with those people who are called heroes of the faith, those men who have gone before us, those women who have gone before us, what we see in these men and women is that we don't see a bunch of capable people. (laughs) On the contrary, God picks a lot of people who are totally incapable. But what we see is a bunch of people who believe that God is capable to keep his promises, that he's willing to meet our needs, that he's willing to help us. This is the story of the Bible. God is the hero again and again and again, and he just wants us to trust him to be our hero. So Stephen's in the presence of his enemies. They're accusing him, saying he's going to change the customs, destroy the temple, and full of the Holy Spirit, he, he, he says, okay, let's, let's go that route. He responds to them on their uh, terms. Now, if you remember, this whole thing started with Stephen uh, working miracles. He's, he's doing wonders. God's working miracles through Stephen. Uh, and these men are not having it. Uh, it. It would be a monumental understatement to say that these guys aren't fans of Stephen and that they're not fans of Jesus. These are the men who killed Jesus. We're going to find that out later. He says, you murdered our Savior. You murdered Jesus, right? These are these men, and Stephen is before the same council. But he receives, receives just the right words. So he, he, he walks through, uh, we're not going to go through, like I said, all of the exact um, things in this sermon, but if, if we were to sum it up, what we see is he's, he's displaying a pattern. 
There's this pattern in the people of Israel that God sends them prophets and they don't accept their words, that they turn away, that they uh, worship idols, that they, they mess up again and again and again. And this isn't just something that's true of Israel. It doesn't matter who, what people God would have picked. Humanity is sinful. We screw it up. We need a work of grace in our hearts to change this, to change our tendency, our proneness to wander. So he goes and he, he, he tells this story and then he ties it back to what's happening right here. You guys killed the Jesus. You killed the Messiah that God sent to you. He ends it exactly like this in verses 51 through 53. It says, you stiff-necked people. He's not mincing his words. Uncircumcised in heart and ears. So, so they have circumcision is the mark, the sign of the covenant. And he's saying, look, you may be circumcised in your flesh, but you are not circumcised in your heart. That's what God calls for. You're uncircumcised in heart and ears. You always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one. That's Jesus. Uh, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the laws as delivered by angels, but did not keep it. And the men that hear this are enraged. It says they grind their teeth at them. This isn't a safe race. This isn't a safe life. If your ultimate aim in life is maintaining just your comfort, maintaining um, peace in a temporal sense, maintaining safety, Christianity is not for you. It's not an opportunity for us to just shield ourselves from pain and suffering. But if you want eternal safety, if you want eternal life, if you want eternal lasting joy, this is the only way. Jesus is the way. He said the way is hard that leads to life. He leads us in a way that is painful, but he is good in it. He meets our needs. Maybe it's odd to you that Stephen uh, gets killed. In this story, maybe it seems weird that if he has God's favor, uh, that God doesn't kill his persecutors. Why, if he's right with God, does he get murdered by these men? Why does he get stoned? And this is super important for us to understand. Um, in the Old Testament stories, that, that that is the first part of the Bible before Jesus came, um, God fights for His people. Uh, he he fights for them in in flesh in blood ways that he goes before them and he leads them in battle and they win and conquer these battles. And, and in the Old Testament, what is happening in all the nations is these people are worshiping false gods. They're worshiping idols, and the Bible tells us that really they're worshiping demonic spirits. They're worshiping false gods. And in the conquering of these false gods, God is declaring to the world that he is the one true God, the most high God, the creator, that no one stands on the same level as him, that he is holy in a class of his own. Uh, But in the New Testament, victory looks different. So God gives victory to Israel to display his glory to the world in that period of time. And then in the New Testament, it's different. 
in addition to now fighting our own sinful desires, that the victory is within in some sense, uh, there's also this reality in which we're still fighting the same demonic spirits, but now we've, we've moved the battle from our plane, our realm, you could say, battle of flesh and blood against those people who worship them, to actually fighting them to free those people from them. And the way we free them, the way we fight this battle is by being faithful to Jesus, putting our sin to death and declaring the gospel to these people that Jesus actually already won the battle decisively on the cross, that he freed us from our sin, that he pardoned us from our sin, that we don't have debt anymore to pay. And in so doing, he disarmed the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places, is what the Bible tells us. And so now, uh, to have victory in this world, for the church to progress in this world, it doesn't look like slaying our neighbor. It looks like loving our neighbor even as they slay us. Uh, it changes the dynamics of the fight completely. Now, there are some times in the Bible, in the New Testament, where God does deliver from safety, but he doesn't guarantee it because victory for us is endurance and keeping the faith. And as we die, uh, Christ is made known even more truly. And so I, I've, I think I've shared this before, but the, the early church, the, the people who died, they said uh, they were called martyrs and Stephen's the first one. And it says, they would say the blood of Basically, our blood is seed. If you, if you slay us, you, if you kill us, you're scattering seed as you shed our blood. And, and, and this was what happened in the early church. As they're persecuted, the church expands. More people meet Jesus. Victory looks different for us. It looks like what Paul calls faith working through love, even in the face of suffering. This is how Jesus fought, and it's how he calls us to fight, which leads us to our third point. Uh, run like Jesus. Run like Jesus. Jesus was perfect, right? Um, you are not. I don't know if you know that. Um, if you're aware, I want to lovingly tell you you're not perfect. Um, and you probably know it really well. I am not perfect. No one in this building is perfect. Jesus is perfect. And yet, despite our imperfection, God calls us to copy Christ's form in running, to, to be shaped more and more into his likeness by his grace, right? As we're running in his strength, we begin to run more like him. This is what we're called to do. And, and the way Jesus ran is that he, he loved his enemies. Um, he, he loved them radically. He laid down his life for his enemies. He calls us to love like this. So Jesus gives a bunch of specific teaching on, on loving and, and on what love looks like. Uh, in a world where we have enemies, how are we supposed to navigate it? And so uh, at one point, he, he says, don't retaliate. He says, someone strikes you on the cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And we see that here in Stephen. He's not resisting, right? He's not retaliating against these men. He's retaliating by loving them with the gospel despite the danger that he's in. A more striking example of, of how we see Stephen following in the footsteps of Christ uh, is Matthew 5, 43 through 44. It says, you have heard that it was said, this is Jesus talking in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, you've heard that it is said, you shall love your neighbor uh, and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Pray for those who persecute you. Uh, we're going to skip to verse 60 and then we'll, we'll come back. But look at this. He says, Falling on his knees, 
This is describing Stephen as he's being killed. It says, falling on his knees, he cried out in a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. This is otherworldly love. As he's being pelted to death with stones, his concern is not the pain that he's going through. His concern is that these men are sinning against God and he wants them to be saved. This is otherworldly love. I, I don't know if, uh, if shift gears slightly, if you've seen, are there any Star Wars fans in the house? Um, maybe you watch Star Wars in this theater, that'd be crazy. Um, but, uh, I don't know why it would be crazy, but that'd be cool. Um, and and in it, as they made the new Star Wars movies, um, something that happened uh, is that a lot of people got upset about The Force Awakens or, or disheartened. Um, I mean, some people got upset. Was, you don't get upset about movies. This is dumb. But they got upset about The Force Awakens because they felt like it was just a rehashing of uh, the old Star Wars. It was just the same plot. We've seen this before. And that's kind of what's happening here in Steven's story. There, there's a rehashing of a similar plot. We've, it seems just a little bit too familiar. Not long before this, Jesus appeared before this same man, before this council. There's false witnesses that come against him, false accusations mixed with uh, true ones. Uh, they're tired of the way that Jesus is leading people away from their authority and away from their teaching to, to really worship God in truth and spirit and truth. They're tired of the miracles that he's doing. And they plan to put him to death, and, and then they put him to death. But not before he could pray this. In Luke twenty three twenty four, the beginning of it, he says, And Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Stephen is just following in Christ's footsteps here. This isn't an original story, but it's not a letdown to see it again. It actually makes the glory of what Jesus did on the cross shine more brightly when we see Christ's followers who are sinful becoming more like Christ and loving in these radical ways. This is a beautiful rehashing, and we want to see this in our lives. Because of Jesus' sacrifice, we go from being enemies of God to children of God growing in the likeness of Christ. This is the thrust of our love for our enemies, that we were enemies of God. You will never be able to love your enemy. You'll never be able to forgive the people who hurt you in the ways God calls you to until you recognize and are amazed at the fact that God forgives you and what it cost for him to forgive you. Jesus' death on the cross. This, was, this is a free gift, but it is a costly gift. Jesus paid a large sum so that you could know him and that you could be changed into his image. Notice here that uh, Paul is standing by and approving of Stephen's execution. So all, as far as we know, this is Paul's first encounter with Christianity. Um, this is the first thing he sees, and he's seeing this man praying for people to be forgiven as he's being killed. Now, it didn't change Paul's heart in that moment, um, but Stephen is bearing witness to what Christianity is to this man. And when we grow more like Christ and we run like Christ and we bring light into the darkness, some of the darkness will oppose us, some of it will get turned into light by God's grace. It's worth noting here that 
as Stephen's walking in love, um, that love is not the same as affirmation. Um, we live in a culture that thinks to love someone is to affirm everything that they choose to do. It's, it's to affirm every desire in their heart as maybe even who they are and something they need to actualize in their life. But that's not biblical love. And it's just, it's not love. Love never, love never affirms someone on a path that's leading to their destruction. There is a way that seems right to end, the Bible says, and in the end it le- or it seems right to man, and in the end it leads to death. The desires of your heart are not the finish line that you need to head toward. Your hope is not in actualizing everything inside of you. You need this Jesus. You need this Jesus, which leads to our last point. Run for the finish, finish line. I'm going to read, this, uh, read this ver- these verses to you from uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's chapter 7, 54 through 8.1. It says this, Now, when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. But he, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Imagine this sight. And he said, behold, I see the heavens open and the son of man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and they rushed together at him. They cannot handle what they're hearing to them. It seems blasphemy or it seems something they hate and they rushed to him. And it says they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. This is Paul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. We've seen this before. Jesus on the cross. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when they had, uh, and falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he said this, he fell asleep and Saul approved of his execution. This is the moment This is the moment of the appearing of Christ. This is the finish line. Stephen has been living for this Savior, for this Jesus. This is what he is reaching towards. This is his hope to see and be with his Savior, to finish the race, to be faithful unto death. And I can't help but wonder if Paul was thinking of this moment when he penned those words to Timothy that we started with. I want to read them to you again. As for you... Always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which is the Lord, the righteous, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only me, but all of those who loved his appearing. Stephen is evangelizing. He's sharing Christ, right? His time of departure comes and the heavens open and he sees the one he loves. He sees his finish line. What's your finish line? What's the finish line of your life? Does it look like Stephen's? When you think of the goal of your life, the hope of your life, the thing that you long for most, is it to see Jesus? Is it his appearing? Do you love his appearing? Or is it maybe a happy family, a good retirement, wealth accumulated? Maybe it's just surviving, surviving your depression or your anxiety, just getting your head above water. 
What's your finish line? Is it on this side of the grave? It's the wrong finish line if it's on this side of the grave. Friends, Jesus will not be a means to some other end in your life. He is the means and he is the end. When he calls us, he calls us to receive him as our king, as our Lord, as our hope, as our joy, as our future inheritance. Jesus will not be a means to some other end. The Bible calls us to examine ourselves to see whether we're in the faith. And this is one of the ways we would examine ourselves. Is that a satisfying end for us? None of us want to suffer. That's, that's fine. You, you don't need to desire pain. But is the thing at the other side of pain exciting to you? To be with Jesus, to glorify Jesus. And to be clear, I'm not saying that the Christian life never, uh, the Christian heart cannot drift towards things like wealth or, or family or that these things are even bad. What I'm saying is they are a faulty and frail finish line. They don't measure up. They're not enough. And they can't be our finish line. We need to reorient our hope, if that is us, to the hope that is eternal and the only hope that will last. Jesus died to purchase us this hope. But not in this life. It's when he returns or or calls us home that we get to see and be with Christ. It's easy to marvel at the faithfulness of Stephen and to think this is just, this is otherworldly. It is otherworldly in a sense, but the thing that, that we need to see, it's essential to see, we, we can't run this race at all if we don't understand this first, is that Stephen didn't die in that moment. He died long before. When he gave his life to Christ, this is how uh, Jesus describes conversion. He says, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Paul said it a little differently. He said, far be it for me to boast in anything except for the cross of Christ. This man who said I worked harder than any of them, he's not boasting. He says, far be it for me to boast in anything but the cross of Christ by which I I've been crucified to the world and the world, or the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Have you been crucified to the world? Is your hope still in this life or has it been transferred into the heavenly kingdom? Is your hope here or is your life hidden in Christ with God? Salvation requires a decisive death to self, a turning from this world and receiving a new hope and a new king. And the rest of our life after we've died in this way to this world is learning how to die daily to these things and to be changed into the image of Christ. This death itself doesn't merit our salvation, but it it is repentance. It is the thing he calls us to to come receive the gift. And I want you to, as we close, notice that it doesn't say Stephen died. This is remarkable. Why? It says he fell asleep. Why? Because he's, he didn't die. Christ has hidden his life in heaven. This isn't his life. His life with, is with Christ. And if your life is with Christ, death can't take you. It is a uh, temporary reality. And death is not your end. Your life hidden with Christ. This is our hope. 
If there's a key to finishing this race, it's truly starting it by dying to this world and saying, my finish line is Christ. I receive him. I receive him as my king. I receive him as my Lord. I'm going to invite the band up. And I want to invite you, if you've never surrendered your life to this king, do it today. Do it today. Maybe you've been playing the Christian game. You've been uh, running on the track, but, but it's a means to another end. You plan on veering off, if, or you plan on running just so long as he gives you health, safety, comfort. Those things need to die today. There's a better hope than that. We will have those things eternally. We will. I invite you to give your life to Jesus. Um, you can do that as we pray in a moment. You can come talk to me or any of our, uh, our people wearing the prayer lanyards after. Um, and, and maybe you're here and you're a Christian already. You're following. I just want to encourage you to run in his strength. To seek to run like Jesus. Maybe in this sermon there's been things that have prodded on certain things. Maybe you've been trusting in your own strength. Maybe you've been afraid to walk in obedience where God calls. Maybe you've been afraid to love people by speaking hard truth of their need for Jesus. Whatever the Lord's speaking to you, give that to him. The surrender, the death doesn't happen once. It happens every day. We learn to die daily to our comforts and to receive the only comfort that's in Christ. This is the only way, friends. Let's pray. Father God, um, I thank you that you are a good God. Uh, I thank you that you are a merciful God. I thank you that in Stephen we see that you are the hero of Christianity, that you, Jesus, are our hope and our strength, that we can be full of grace, full of the Spirit, full of faith. Lord, I pray you'd teach us to know your promises to go to you to receive them, that we would experience your promises, whether that's through suffering or whether that's through just obedience, Lord, that we would die to this world and we would live in you. We would be comforted by the fact that our life is hidden with you, Lord. I pray for those in this room who have never surrendered. They've never bowed the knee to you as king. They've never received you as hope. God, would you save them this, this morning? as they confess their sins to you, as they confess their need to you, I thank you that you're willing. Would you give them a solid, rooted, grounded faith, not a superficial, uh, receive Jesus just so I can get these, these other things, but would they receive you as their treasure, as their Lord, as their King? Lord, I thank you that you're willing to empower us, that you hear our prayers, that you are good. We love you. We need you. We can't live without you. We don't want to try. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.